welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I know the past year and a half you've been watching every single Sunday night video that Junior and I come up here on Monday or Tuesday and shoot in advance. You've been anxiously watching them every week online or you listen to them on our podcast. But in case you haven't been following along the past year and a half, we have been going through the book of Exodus. And today we're coming to a, a passage in Scripture, one that we should all know. It's about a man named Jeff, Jethro. Isn't he in the Beverly Hillbillies? Uh, I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. But Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses. And we're going to see two main principles tonight. I want you all to take away from this. I'm going to give it, we're, go ahead and turn your Bibles. It's in Exodus chapter 18. What we're going to see, I'm going to tell you the two main points before we even get to them. Jethro did not know the Lord. And he witnessed his son-in-law and his daughter Zipporah and their family and the deliverance that God raised up Moses for to lead them through the Red Sea, into freedom from slavery in Egypt. And they came back to Mount Sinai. And then, where that's, remember, Mount Sinai is the mountain of God where everything happened. That's the mountain that Moses was called in, and he had to take off his sandals when the Lord appeared to him in a, a bush that was on fire, but it would not burn up. Because remember, the Lord says, I want you to know, Moses, I'm going to confirm something. You're going to go to Egypt and free the people. And a sign to you is, soon you will be back here at this mountain worshiping me with all the Israelites. They will be back. And God fulfilled that. And Jethro witnessed that. He saw his family come back, his son-in-law. All of them came back with Israelites. And he worshiped the Lord too. And the principle of that is you and I need to be praying and expecting our family to get saved. Do you have family members who are not in church? They don't know the Lord? And it might even be in-laws. God wants to see the family that you married into. Maybe God is using your marriage to your spouse to help reach some of those in-law family members to see them saved. God's plan and purpose is for a people everywhere to come to know the Lord. And God is going, in this passage, we're going to see Jethro get saved. He's going to begin worshiping the Lord. And the second thing we're going to see here is Jethro was a very wise man. He, got, he knew the Lord. He got saved. But then what happened is he came to, and he witnessed what Moses was doing. Have you ever met a workaholic? Have you ever met someone that they literally just will do everything themselves? And even if you do something for them, they're going to go back behind your back and they're going to fix it. It doesn't matter what they're going to do, what they're going to do. They want it their way or no way. And in many ways, Moses found himself in this unique situation where he was the only judge of all of these Israelites that came out of slavery. They came out of Egypt. And all day, Moses was, would get up and, read and basically teach them the law and teach them God's commands and make judgments on them. What's right or wrong? Who owes what? And Jethro, remember Jethro, what the story with we're going to see here, Jethro 
after Moses and uh, Zipporah were married. And God called Moses. This is the land of Midian. Midian, this region, is what we call the Sinai Peninsula today. It's in current day Egypt. But it's there, this unique little patch of land that's between mainland Egypt and then Israel. It just kind of fits. And also, if you keep going Saudi Arabia, it just fits right there. Kind of jets out a little bit in the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea's uh, right there. And that's where Midian was. Well, remember, that is the area that God called Moses from. And when God called him to go back to Egypt, Zipporah and his two sons did not go with him because God had told him, you're going to come back to this mountain. So he probably told his wife, Zipporah, I want you to know, of God affirmed to me that I will be back here. So I don't exactly know how long I'm going to go. We're going to have some plagues, some miracles are going to happen, some unusual things are going to occur. But I promise you, if God said I'm going to be back at this mountain, we will be back at this mountain. So Zipporah and the family stayed there. So Jethro, what happened is, when Moses left, I want you all to understand what happened. Moses was a herdsman. Remember, his first 40 years, he grew up in the palace. His second 40 years in his life, from age 40 to 80, God just had him in Midian taking care of animals and sheep and cows and goats. He, just, he, just, he was a farmer. He took care of the animals. He worked the ground. And God called this 80-year-old man to go speak to Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, Jethro, he had to be older as well. He told Moses, you know, Jethro's probably in his, be in his 90s, upper 90s, 100, even early 100 years, 100 years old. He's a wise man. He lived in the land of Midian. And his son-in-law left Midian, went to Egypt, and he comes back with a million and a half people following him. And all of a sudden, Jethro looks up and goes, this mo- what on earth has happened? Here's the whole Israelite community. They're all free now. Moses just literally defeated Pharaoh and all of Egypt. You're obviously using the power of God. So Jethro sees this, folks, and he gets saved. But then Jethro is a wise man. He saw that all these people were coming to Moses. And he's going to say, Moses, you've got to learn the principle of delegation. You are literally going to wear yourself out. You're going to kill yourself if you don't invest in some other people. And I think that's our principle that God's going to speak to us today. We need to, through the power of the Lord and our changed life and what God is doing in our life, we can see our other family members saved. And many times we need a Jethro speaking truth into our life, saying, you need to be doing this. You know, I won't even tell you about this Sunday night service. There were some people in our church that were like, you know, a lot of churches are getting rid of Sunday night church. And we were doing community groups here at that time. We don't need to have Sunday night church. You know, because a lot of folks, you know, just have done away with it. I, I grew up in a church with Sunday night church. Church I was part of for 12 years in Georgia. We had Sunday night church. And it was in our deacons meeting in June where... I believe it was unanimous, Ben. Every deacon says, no, we need Sunday night church. This is important. Folks need to hear the word of God. 
They need the opportunity to get saved or pray for. You make this a priority in your life. And it would have been easy for some of us saying, well, we don't need this. But I think there's wisdom in listening to folks saying, this is important. This matters. The Lord's Day isn't a day for football. It's not a day to catch up on what you didn't fix the rest of the week. It's a day of worship. And sometimes in our life, we need a Jethro to speak truth to us. Where they come along and say, son, you need to do this. It's like coming up too early for and you st- the music minister says, so I was one more song. So like, there's your seat. Go back down. All right, open up your Bibles. We're going to read along. I want you to follow along in your Bibles. I think this is going to be on the screen too, but you can always follow, follow along here in your scriptures. We're in Exodus chapter 18. This is the story of Jethro. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in, taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. So sent her back, meaning after God called Moses, Moses sent back his family to this, air, this region of Midian while he went to Egypt to free the people. That's what he's talking about here. Along with her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, because Moses said, I've been a resident alien in a foreign land, and the other Elizer, because he had said, the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. Mountain of God, remember, that is what we call Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Remember, everything in the Bible has to have two or three or four names to it. So that's what, it's all one mountain. You can go there today, it's 5,000 feet, and it's, um, if you like a hike, you can actually hike to the top. There's an orthodox, I've never done it, I've, I've Googled pictures on Google Images and looked at all of it. There's an orthodox Christian church on top of the mountain today. But probably that church wasn't there, obviously, 4,000 years ago when this occurred. But this is what we're, we're talking about. God did miraculous things at this mountain. Verse 6, he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses is going to get to see his family. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. He asked each how they were doing and how they went and went into the tent. Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. I'm sure Jethro had lots of questions because Moses didn't come with a few people. He came with over a million. He showed up at Jethro's house. So I'm sure Jethro is thinking, wow, what on earth did I just miss? Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of Egypt. And from the power of Pharaoh, he has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now, now this is, this is how we know, which I'll look at this. This is how we know Jethro wasn't a believer. Because it says there, Jethro was a priest of Midian. He was a priest of Midian. But you have to remember, Midian 
this was not this was not the Hebrew land. This was an extension part of Egypt. This was kind of like the wilderness. This would be like uh, what would it be like? It's like um, you know. Let's put it in the context of our state. I don't want to pick on Eastern Kentucky. It's just like you're going down in Southern Kentucky along the Tennessee. It's just a, south of Lake Cumberland, big south National Forest Recreation Center down. There's just not a lot there. Why would you go down there? Unless you're going fishing, unless you're going hunting, unless you're going hiking, there's just a rural area that you would have to travel several, maybe a hundred miles to, to get to. So usually, a lot of times, when you're out in a rural country area, out of sight, out of mind. So he is a priest in Midian. But he's not a priest to the Lord. Because look what he says here in verse 11. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Well, that's important because he likely worshipped those other gods. Jethro was participating in what we would call polytheism. The worship of multiple gods. Idols, praying to the God of the sun, praying to God of the moon. You just pick your God. So what he's saying is, wow, because I just witnessed this great miracle, now I know that God is the great God. Because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Egypt. Arrogantly means Pharaoh would not let the people to go after the ten plagues. So Jethro is hearing the firsthand story of this. So God was able to save Moses' father-in-law by the great story of the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and how the Egyptians died. It goes on to say in verse 12 in your Bible, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. So we see in this passage here, this is kind of the first section. The first section, what we're looking at, is Jethro. Moses reunites with his family. Jethro gets saved. And I want you to take away from this section this evening who in your life that you need, needs to experience, needs to witness what God has done in your life. What I love about this passage, it says Moses... He Remember, he's walking up with all these people with him. But then he went in the tent alone, one-on-one, and spoke with his father-in-law. You know, there's some things in private that you want to speak to privately. In many ways, sharing the gospel, a personal evangelism story, that personal story of telling how God has changed your life, that needs to be a private conversation. You pull someone off the side. You go in their home. You say, let me tell you what God's doing in my life. And you just do it in a kind way. That's what Moses is doing. He's saying, Jethro, I want you to know the Lord is great. He did this. It's not me. And Jethro worshiped the Lord. He says, now I realize, Moses, because of your testimony of a changed life and the miracles God has done, I believe. Here's my sacrifice. These other gods are false. Your God, Yahweh, He is the true God. Moses' family was saved. I think that's important, too, because Zipporah, you, know, you have to remember, Moses married Zipporah. That's Jethro's daughter. 
We don't know. Maybe Zipporah, when he first met her, she was not a believer. The Bible speaks against marrying unbelievers. But in this case, we see Moses' family, they turn to the Lord. You can pray through God. You can witness through God's miracles that have changed life. God can save your family members, including your in-laws and people that you feel are far from God. No, the Lord is a great God. Okay, that's section one of this chapter here. Now we're going to shift. Now we're going to get into the principle of delegation. Delegation reminds us that one of the, we, wanna, we always want to do the one or two things or three things that we are best at. There are certain things that God has given you a gift, God has given you a skill, God has given you a knowledge that you, are, you excel at that. And those are the things that you want to be focusing on. If you find yourself doing too many things, you've joined too many clubs, you've joined too many committees, you have overextended yourself, what happens is you're tired. And then the things that matter the most, you don't have the energy or the time to give towards. This is why it's so important for us spiritually that when we are at our best, we give that time to God. I'm convinced my best, when I am most alert in life, is probably between the hours of about 8.30, let's say, to 11.30. That way church has to end at 11.30, at 10.30 worship service. The morning hours is my best time. And like many of you, you start getting late in the afternoons, 2, 3, 4 o'clock, what happens? You're ready, you're ready to doze off. You're starting to get tired. Well, Moses here, he is about to learn from his father-in-law that he's overextending himself. You want to give your best time to the Lord and to to what, what your skill is. So follow along in your Bibles. Verse 13 of Exodus 18. God's Word says, The next day... Moses sat down to judge the people. So, all right, we met dad, we met father-in-law. It's time to get to work. So now we're going to go to work. And, he's, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. Could you imagine? What a rock star. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, that he was doing for them, he asked, what is this you're doing for the people? Moses, you've lost your mind. Why are you giving this much time to them? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? What an awful life. Who on earth would want to do this? You don't even have time to spend with God. All you're doing is uh, dealing with a mob of folks wanting your attention. Moses replied to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me. And I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. So Moses explained what he was doing. And this is the wisdom of father-in-law. I want to tell you, if, you, if you're a father-in-law, if you have a son-in-law, you, need to, you, want to, you want to teach them. Part of aging and maturing is you're not being ugly to folks. You're just, you have a ministry, a gift of showing people what to do. In a kind way, this is what to do. This is best. This works. Here's a better way to do this. Approach it at this angle. You just try to help throughout. You meet the folks in a kind way of trying to redirect them. That's all Jethro's doing. 
He's saying, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. This is too much. It's wisdom from father-in-law. When I was preparing this message, I asked Sherry. So Sherry, what's the best advice your father's ever given me? And she told, she informed me the best advice Harry Coleman said was to marry me. So that's what she told me that Harry gave me. But um, uh, he does. Harry will let me know things. So it's the same thing here. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law says, What you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear yourself and both you and the people out who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it all alone. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice and God be with you. You know what that means? That means, son, I'm going to tell you what God wants you to do, but ultimately the ball's in your court. I'll give you some instruction. I'll point you in the right direction. I'll share with you some wisdom, but we all know you're just going to do what you're going to do. But if you do this, it will help you. That's what kind of Moses or is Moses is hearing. But you have to also remember too, Moses, he's 80 years old. So he's not a spring chicken to begin with. So, but he's talking to a man who's likely 100 years old. So he has to, he's certainly showing his respect to his father-in-law. But Moses is, real, Moses is getting good advice. And it says here, verse 20, instruct them. All right, sorry, verse 19. Now listen to me, I will give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to Him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophets. So he's saying you need to raise up some more men. So and notice the qualifications for leadership in a church. Qualifications in a leadership position in church is, is all spiritual. It's not how much money you have and how popular you are. Not at all. God's qualifications. Look at this. God-fearing. These are people who love the Lord. Next Sunday, we're going to be ordaining a deacon in this worship service. Innocent Ketty will be getting ordained. Innocent loves the Lord. He brings his megaphone to downtown Lexington and preaches the gospel. In fact, what's unusual about it is he actually does that on Saturday mornings when we have deacons meetings. And I remember telling one of the other deacons, I've never had a deacon miss a deacons meeting because he's downtown in the city preaching the gospel to lost people on the street. And he can't attend the meetings. That's a God-fearing deacon. Brother Hurd, have you ever had a deacon skip a meeting for that? <laughs> oh, yeah. So that is, that, is what, that is what it means here. Your qualifications, these are someone who loves the Lord. Not only that, he says, is trustworthy. Meaning, if you instruct them what to do, they should actually do it. You teach them, and they go and follow what they're supposed to do. You trust them with scriptures. And look at this. And hating dishonest prophet. This was so important because it would have been very easy to have someone, when you're a judge, slip you that $20 bill. Or back in Bible times, switch, switch, not switch, but give you a fig, something, a Bible item that you would want to eat, maybe. And then it would all of a sudden sway your, your uh, ruling or judgment on something. God is saying, you don't need to have dishonest scales. 
The Lord's making it very clear to Moses, the men you select should be godly judges. I want you to know something. We're here in America, and when our judicial system is corrupt, we've lost our country. That goes from the Supreme Court all the way down to a little municipal court right down the street here on Main Street. If we have a corrupt state and federal and local, if you can pay off judges and attorneys, if you can sway and purchase justice, you have ruined your nation. Because you will live in a, you will live in a country of, of, of bribes, of basically money rule. You know, that's actually what's going on right now in Afghanistan with the Taliban. It's, there's bribery. If you follow the news. And that's something we as Christians, we have to fight against that. When people are corrupt, you, do not, you want to vote those people out of office. You do not want people to destroy our Constitution. We, don't, we want people who are law-abiding judges and who do not accept a bribe. Bribery is a sin. All the way back to when God is telling Moses, you find God-fearing men who are trustworthy and who will not take a bribe. Those are the people over us. Folks, this is why it's so important for us as believers, we can't keep our head in the sand and say, I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do. Well, if we act that way, if we, if we pull ourselves out of culture and society, you will end up, when lost people take over, evil influences that. You will have corruption. That's why groups in Afghanistan are just lawless. Complete lawlessness goes on there. You pay people off and you get what you want. I'll never forget the story I heard of someone who... Um, when I was in seminary, I had to take German. And um, the professor one time went on a, a, is an, East, an Eastern European area, and they were working with Germans there, but it wasn't Germany, it was another place. And he parked his car, and then, I think I've shared this story before, and then all of a sudden he came back, and a policeman was standing next to it, and he had a ticket. And the policeman just kept saying, you know, you, you're going to have to pay this ticket. You parked here. And the guy was like, no, I, the, you put a, the, the, all of a sudden you made this a no parking zone. Like the, the sign moved while he was gone. Like a, he knew he was an American tourist. So all of a sudden the sign became a no parking area. And the guy was just going to stand there and go say, you know, you've got to, you're going to have to pay this ticket. What are you going to do about it? You've got this ticket here. You know, I know you're a tourist. And you know what he was doing? He just kept saying the same thing over and over again. And then like the translator said, he wants a bribe. Just give him a few bucks and they'll go away. And he said he refused to do it. And the guy, I mean, he just kept him there forever. But that, that is how it is in many, many countries. You pay people off. And this is condemned here in Scripture. And we have to fight against it today. It's all around us, this, this, this corruption. That's why Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Because mammon, money, is a false god that leads people to hell. It leads people away from God's truth. Last few verses here. I want you to follow along. 
He says, these folks here, you place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge the minor cases themselves. In this way, you lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. And also, all these people will be able to go home satisfied, meaning no one's happy in this situation. Moses, you're exhausted. The people aren't happy because they can't even get to you. This works. Having multiple judges and leaders who are honest and have a good jurisdiction system, everyone is happy when justice is served. Justice makes people happy. Moses, listen. This is amazing. One of the few young son-in-laws. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all of Israel, made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. What a great principle. Moses left his father-in-law, let his father-in-law go, and he journeyed on his own to his own land. So they're moving along. And we all, but we do know, based on Numbers chapter 10, Numbers chapter 11, Jethro did continue on some. They left each other right there, but they met up later and continued on. So what do we see in these principles here? God's teaching us that we need to look in areas of our life that we might find ourselves exhausted or overextended, and then we raise up other leaders so we can be at our best. The principle of delegation, of teaching and training other people, the principle of listening to maybe your father-in-law or other people, who's wise folks, whom God has put in your life to instruct you in the Lord's ways. This was a win-win solution for all the Israelites and for Moses. Beecher, I want to invite you in the band. Y'all come on back up here. We're going to have our invitation. While they come up here, I want to tell you, we're going to have our time of invitation, and this is opportunity. You can join our church tonight if you want to. You can walk forward and take Brother Hurd and I's hand. Brother Hurd, you can come on up here too. You can take our hand, and we will pray for you. This is our time that we respond to God. Our online folks, y'all just send our church Facebook page a message. We can certainly follow up as well. So the band's going to lead, lead us in a song. And Brother Hurd, as we always close out every single, every single service with an invitation, this is our response to God. All right, I'm glad I everyone to stand up. Uh, I'll be standing down here. You come forward and take us. And we'll pray over you if you need prayer or you can make a decision. Brother Hurd, be standing there. I'll be standing right there. And we'll be waiting for you to respond to the gospel.